0: Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about short video games, the kind of thing that you can pick up and complete in an evening or a weekend, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Reagan Kelly, and I am joined this week by my full complement of co-hosts. Once again, how are you doing, Shane? My real-life twin brother. I'm pretty good. And Nate, my brother from another mother.
1: Well, we're still the blood
0: tests are still out. So, yes, that, we're, well, they were, well, we'll work it out. I mean, I I, I feel I feel that brotherhood. And Laura, you're also a brother, but a different kind of brother.
2: Like a lady brother. A lady That's brother. That's a
3: little weird since we <laughs> dated in middle school.
2: <laughs> oh, isn't that a cute little factoid for the listeners? a little weird because that was like 20 years ago.
3: Yeah, it was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, yes. that was a very long yeah, time ago. Get over
2: it. <laughs> uh, Laura, how are
0: you doing?
3: I'm doing great.
0: And uh, this week we're here to talk about a game that we've been really meaning to play for this show since it came out months and months ago. And it became kind of a blind dash at the end of the year for us to play some of the things that we had been talking about doing for the show that we thought might end up on our various Game of the Year lists, and we didn't want to leave them till 2016. Um, so this week we're talking about Ori and the Blind Forest, a game that came out in March on the Xbox One. And I, I think – no, actually not yet the Xbox 360, just the Xbox One and uh, Windows on Steam.
1: So if you were to make a list of uh, consoles and ways to play games that the short game has readily available, uh, Xbox One none of us have, and PC only like – I guess three of us have access to, and it's pretty much still not the easiest thing to do. So I think that's part of why it took us so long to play this game. Yeah, I didn't want to reboot, guys. Oh, I know. Turn off the computer. I mean, I played this
3: in Parallels, and it actually, there was only one part where a tiny stutter happened, and it was completely reasonable, considering what was happening on screen at that time.
1: Water chase.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh,
0: God,
1: the water chase. It's the
0: worst. So, Laura, I think it was you who were... You were most enthusiastic about trying to make sure that we got to this game before the end of the year. So do you want to... Why, why were you so interested in, in making sure that we played it?
3: I mean, first of all, it is gorgeous. It's lush. Everything I'd seen, um, the gameplay videos and the cutscenes both felt lively and alive, and it's right at my alley. I mean, I collect animation concept art, and this is basically... Um, has the backgrounds are super hand-painted looking. They're beautifully drawn. There's a lot of, you know, they said Miyazaki was one of their big influences. It's got a lot of beautiful color. I mean, the look appealed to me. The other thing is, I really wanted a game that I could lose myself in. And I think that a lot of games we have since they're short don't let you explore. And I had heard that this game even though it's on the shorter side for the style, lets you wander. And I wanted to wander through places that looked like what I'd seen in the trailer. So I was pretty sure it was coming right up my alley. I know those are both a little odd. I mean, I'm not mentioning gameplay, I'm not mentioning story, nothing that we can officially talk about in the short game, but I just wanted to kind of spend time in this world, to be honest.
1: That that sense of exploration was something that I definitely noticed as well, too. You know, I've been obviously playing a lot of Fallout lately, um, which has you know exploration built into it, but this is a different kind. This is like, oh, that's really pretty. Is that a little light? What's that doing? Let me go <laughs> see. You know, like, it's, it's calm. It's a very, even though there's monsters and you're shooting lightning bolts, which we'll get into, uh, it's still a very serene exploration.
0: That's really true. I-, I think that this game's biggest strength is how incredibly gorgeous The backgrounds are and the character animations and I mean we'll
1: talk about its gameplay
2: and the music. The music's damn good too. Yeah, we
1: we always forget to talk about the music, but we still put it in the episode. So I just wanted to say like that was actually how I heard of this game first. Is Molly had the uh, OST and wait, yes, original soundtrack. Okay, OST. (laughs) Good going. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, and I remember listening to him like, man, this is beautiful. What is this? Like Ori? I have no idea what that is. And Laura's like, we should play Ori, and he's like great
0: Yeah, I'd had this on my on my list for a while. Um not having an Xbox uh I ended up playing the other Metroidvania that came out console exclusive from an indie developer uh, in March of 2015. And that was Axiom Verge. And we'll do a little compare and contrast later. Uh, Axiom Verge is also an amazing game, but I'm really glad I finally got around to actually playing Ori. Um, it, it's just it's just showstoppingly beautiful. And the art style and the music and everything, it really comes together well. It is you're playing a a Miyazaki movie basically, and uh like if visuals matter to you, this is gonna be one of the most most beautiful two d games ever some a detail that I thought was really amazing about this that I suspected but I wasn't sure of until I saw it mentioned in an article was that actually the backgrounds in this game, all of them are these sort of beautiful hand painted backgrounds of you know forests and you know, rivers and swamps and all that. And apparently all of the backgrounds are individually hand-painted. It's not tiled. You you know, you see a tree in the background in this game, and that's the only time that you see that tree. It's not repeating patterns or anything like that. So it really is incredibly detailed and lush, and there's a ton of love. And, and even down to just the tiny animations that the characters do, Ori is this incredibly expressive little... What what the heck is Ori?
1: Ghost rabbit?
3: Light spirit?
1: Oh, light spirit. That doesn't describe it. It's like <laughs> I mean,
3: I think that's what they want you to call it. But I mean, Ori is this little um, peaceful but mischievous um, little white part rabbit. I mean, the the legs kind of go to octopus. It's a little funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's two sets with- of ears. Very cute.
3: It's very cute, considering we're describing a monster. Very
0: Spirited Away, or um, yeah, uh, yeah, and he just uh, Valley of the Wind.
3: All the motion is so smooth and flowing and expressive. When you learn something like double jump, I double jump several times just to watch that animation, mm-hmm. and just sometimes it makes you do very tough platforming, and
1: sometimes, <laughs>
3: often, and when you do. It's both rewarding because you're getting it right, but also because you get to... Doing it right feels like you're flying. It's so freeing to see Ori move from animation to animation so beautifully, because I've played a lot of this style of platformer that is 8-bit style, Mm -hmm. going back to Castlevania, or very heavyweight characters, and Ori is so light on his feet, or lack of feet, that... (laughs) where you just kind of, yeah, squid legs just kind of flow through the air and you are constantly evolving. It's just lovely controlling this personality, you know, huge personality for this character.
2: Well, as, as you guys know, I didn't actually play this game. I'm, I'm on here to discuss uh, Metroidvanias in general. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but, but I have a question for you. So in games in the past that have used these kinds of hand-drawn animation and things like that, uh, and I want to include in this uh, the Swapper, which was a game where, you know, all the the graphics were hand created. Um, one of my biggest complaints is that I often find I have a hard time making out what is floor, what is wall, what is uh, interactive, what is not. And in a in a game like a Metroidvania style, or as I like to call them, a Castlevania Troid. Um,
1: you're just going to say it as many times as you can until someone else
2: yes, says it. Yes, it's going to catch on. I think Metroidvania is a mistake. Castlevania, Troid. I actually a- I actually have
0: heard Castle Troid in a serious context. I think it's in some ways a better term than Metroidvania. Well,
2: you can't say Castle Troid because it's Metroidvania, and if you're going to reverse it, you want to put full the full title. <laughs> otherwise, you're truncating it, obviously. <laughs> yeah, Reagan. Stupid. <laughs> Let's have some more opinions on this matter in a castlevania troid where you know your your action is really important and where you know being able to make accurate distance judgments is really important how does this game stack up um, in terms of art that actually that actually you know f- fills the purpose of of informing you as a player
3: i'll say the depth in this game is really well crafted um, there are clearly different planes and there are there's a nice blur on you know a slight blurring on things in the background. It feels like you're viewing it at a distance um, very much like Disney handles backgrounds where there's a foreground and a background. So it's there's still detail in the back, but it's um, very clearly not where you are. Yeah, Yeah. and And
1: the game is so colorful. Um, Like, I, I definitely agree with you on some degree with like the swapper, where it's like everything's a shade of gray. So it's like, what shade of gray is the front? What shade of gray is the back? Whereas this, I there was maybe once or twice where I was like, can I jump through that? And it's like, no, that's actually like a really dark tree stump. Um, but for the most part, I thought it was really, really obvious what was the foreground. The background is clearly the
2: background. And it's yeah.
3: obvious what you should kill because it's pink so just <laughs> kill true. pink and, things and
2: trying to kill you <laughs>
3: yeah yep. kill pink things and every other color is fair
0: game the thing that i thought was so interesting about this is like i've played a lot of other you know, to that same point shane is that i've played a lot of other games that have this perspective this sort of parallax 2.5 d kind of look um but this has more layers to it than and some things that are doing there's there's some things that actually stood out to me as like I've never seen a game. I've been playing games that use parallax perspectives and you know two point five d type presentations. I've never loved that term, but it's it is what it is um. I've been playing those types of games for years, and this game did some things that I wasn't expecting visually. Like, for example, there's certain areas where Ori is, you know, going between things above the water and things below the water, and you're moving around, and just the use of the perspective, the way that the, you know, some things are essentially just a flat thing that happens to be on either the foreground, the background, or on on the, you know, Ori's perspective. But there's other things that are this sort of very scaled 3d kind of thing. And it just blends all of that so well together that you never think about it. Like I don't remember a single time playing this game where I had to really stop and work out what was background, what was foreground. Um, but it still, it felt like a 3d space, even though everything was essentially 2d, like it was really, really well done in that regard.
3: I appreciated some of the cleverness they did with silhouettes popping up in front of the camera. Um, Where occasionally you are following some creature or you might not know it, and then you'll see a little like shadow pass in front of the lens of the computer screen.
1: Lighting is really well handled in this game on all fronts. So there's a lot of things that emit light. Um, There's little lanterns that are actually a pretty important
2: little thing. From the videos and stuff I've seen, it looks like Ori himself is like lit up. He glows. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's one of the big themes of the game is bringing light to the world. So light is very important thematically and visually to this game.
0: Yeah, with 2D games, it's hard sometimes to get that sort of dynamic lighting, but it's really convincing here. It's really well done.
1: So on that note, why don't we kind of dive in a little bit more? And um, I don't think it's a a deep topic, but let's talk about the story a little (laughs) bit.
2: (laughs) The story.
3: The story.
2: Yeah, walk me through, guys. I want to know what... So I feel like... Um, so, so
0: thousands of years ago. Have you seen <laughs> Gully? Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: no. My my question is, is: so in Metroidvania style games, which kind of originate from Metroid. Or, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, Castlevania <laughs> Castle Troid Troid. style games. Yeah. Castlevania, uh, Castlevania Metroid esque style games. Um, they originate from uh, the kind of impetus to take the platformer in a non-linear direction and add story to it, basically. That's that's the genesis of the whole genre. That said, the story in this sort of game is usually pretty darn thin. Was that the case here?
3: I think it's, it's very thin. There is great wordless storytelling, and some of the cutscenes are beautiful. They do go on a little long. Hmm. I feel like someone watched the beginning of Up a few times oh and God. watched Wally quite a bit, and then was like, <laughs> I would like to do... This kind of moving story without words.
1: That was my first thought.
3: Yeah, they do fake language, and that stuff's not good.
1: Yeah,
0: that's yeah.
3: really bad. <laughs> but the wordless yeah. stuff is beautiful.
1: It's fine. It was you very
0: Navi. Like he only ever uh, s- sign the little glowing orb that follows you around. He's some kind of spirit. Um, he he was he pretty much only chimes in to tell you either how obvious things work or. Th- these totally incomprehensible like story lit things about how the great Deku tree is out of light <laughs> and not a Deku to, tree. It, it's basically a Deku tree and we need to bring it's light back to the tree. world or whatever. And it's all, it's all, it's basically destiny dialogue,
2: the art Deku tree. Uh,
0: it, it, I mean, actually I didn't even connect that until just now. It literally is destiny. It's like, You're a guardian of the light. Bring the light back to the world, guardian. It's basically the story
2: of destiny in every incomprehensible way. Reagan, I got to disagree because destiny has no story. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's true
3: the story is the world is sad and desiccated and you need to bring back the things that make the world cool again
0: and naturally you have to do that by collecting the three sacred elemental whats from their various places that they happen to be it's basically zelda yeah basically zelda and also there's a mean bird that keeps trying to kill you as well
1: there's a real mean bird and a friendly spider all sorts <laughs> of well, he's not friendly at first. But.
2: Our world's art style is becoming more scary. <laughs> Only you can bring back the cutesy art style. Yep, that's basically yeah,
1: it. I mean, it gets the job done. Like, it, <laughs> it definitely, it tonally, the story fits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, it doesn't need to be, like, that's not what the game is about. Obviously, yeah. the game is about exploration and looking beautiful, and it would be weird if it had a like hard line like set of plot points yeah for like a game that wants you to just wander
2: around, you know? What would that make the game? Would it be more like Freedom Planet? Would Reagan have liked it more?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well I'll also say this game is it's very peaceful and it's asking you to be peaceful. I mean, you don't even shoot, you don't even aim to shoot. Like shooting is just it's more like shoot the things real quick and dodge is more important. In this game, than shooting things.
2: Yeah, actually, can we can
0: we talk about that for a second? The the shooting mechanic in this game is incredibly weird, and I'm not it's pacifist. sure. Pacifist. Yeah, like I don't know how I feel about it. Ori doesn't ever attack anything directly. Seinfeld does it. Yeah, yeah, little, the little glowy sign guy. He he just hovers around you, and if you hit the attack button, he shoots little lightning bolts. Um, but you, you know, Ori isn't isn't really directly involved, which. The, the other big mechanical consequence of that is that you never have to aim. You just hit the attack button, and you're going to be hitting, without any aiming at all, whatever happens to be nearby. And I, I actually think that's—I I don't know how I feel about that. Like, at first I was like, that's weird. Why am I not aiming? I enjoy aiming. I think that's an integral part of games that involve combat. And then I kind of forgot about it, and it didn't really bother me again until, until at various points it kind of did. It's weird.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was really um, smooth. I, I really enjoyed it because it, you know, a lot of the game is controlling Ori, right? Mm-hmm. Jumping properly, um, jumping off of walls properly. Um, the, it's the only other game I've ever played that felt very similar to Guacamelee, um, and so if you were doing all this, I would call it a f- like the movement is is very finesse. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, even when you're fighting, you're you're dodging and it's kind of short hops and you're trying to dodge properly. And if I had to also, I don't know, with like the right joystick, be controlling like a all around aim or something like that, like you do in other like kind of 3D platformer, I, I think it would be. It would be like bullet hell or like control hell. You know, like I kind of liked the the smoothness of like my focus is controlling Ori also while jamming the X button to make sure that it's killing everything around me.
3: The game prioritized motion over combat. And I think it went with a the theme and I think it contributed to that exploration of you can fight something and instead of trying to aim at it you're watching it for how it behaves so you can change your behavior accordingly i wasn't watching it to try to aim at it properly so i think it went along with the story and kind of the overall mechanics they were going with
0: Mechanics-wise, the game has, I mean, like any game in this genre, it has a bunch of upgrades that you get as you go. And some of them were really predictable by the numbers stuff. Like the first one you get, I think, is a double jump. I mean, you know, what would a game like this be without a double jump? You get the—you get all the typical stuff. You get a wall jump where you can jump off of walls. You can climb up walls. Uh, each of these expands your verbs a little bit, lets you, you know, in, explore new places. Um, most of these, I have to say, were a little by the numbers. Like if the game has a a serious weakness, I would say it it doesn't do much to surprise you with the ways that it expands your abilities or your, you know, your verb set, except the one that like, once I finally got it halfway through the game, way too late, I think they should have, they should have led with it. It's amazing. Is Ori's bash move.
1: Yeah. Bash is awesome. I do want to say one thing about Double jump that did catch me off guard a little bit is it's more of like a horizontal double jump than it is a vertical double jump. Um, you do get a little bit more extra gain going up, but it's more about being able to go from left to right even further. Um, but Bash is is super super unique. It, it kind of works by like you is a redirection move. Like it's
0: uh, it's it reminds me a little bit of some of the throws that you could do in Guacamele. Guacamelee had a really complex system of moves, and every time you got something, it could be combined with your other moves in various combos. So that game, I thought, felt really sort of improvisational and and interesting there. And here, really, it it makes so much use of the Bash move because I think it's the, the only one that really, really feels improvisational. But Bash lets you jump towards an enemy or a projectile. So an enemy shoots you with a little, like, bullet or whatever, or it's coming at you, and you jump towards it, and then do the bash move, and time sort of freezes for a moment, a couple of seconds, and you kind of redirect things, and you launch yourself and the bullet or enemy kind of away from each other in whatever direction you want. So you can kind of use this to either throw an enemy's bullets back at them, or kind of use the the bullets that enemies might be firing at you as a kind of a platform for these extended, you know, massive traversal jumps. So and they any make you do it. Yeah, yeah. Suddenly areas that are full of enemies are actually the most freedom that you have in the game because you can basically
1: fly as long as they're shooting at you. Yeah, to me the moment when Bash came in was um similar to the swapper when you figured out that you could shoot a clone into the air, swap in tide of him, shoot another clone into the air and swap, and like you could basically go vertical as much as you needed. Um, It felt similar to being like, wow, okay, now I'm working on an entirely, like this changes the way I move in this game. It changes the way I control my character.
3: Yeah, Um, and I agree that if... For originality's sake, I feel Bash could have been earlier, but it's so powerful to get it and rethink the previous level, you know, rethink the movement that I kind of like it being uh, something you save because I don't really care that the powers are predictable because I was excited to say, oh, cool, probably I'll be able to crush that thing later. Like, I was like, maybe I'll get to swim later because there's water everywhere and the water <laughs> kills me and I'm tired of dying because maybe I can swim. Like, a
2: dirty purple stink. You can't go in it.
3: God, that purple water. I have and- a
2: question actually. Um, so, in this sort of game, we're, we're talking a lot about the, the powers, I and mean, in these sort of uh, Castlevania Troid style games, <laughs> Come um, on the, every power that you, that you gain is also a key that unlocks some part of the level, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this game is they're cool. non linear, so there's usually a lot of backtracking. How much backtracking was there in this game? A lot. If- Really? Because I thought way less than a lot of other games like this that I I've I think played. the map
1: is overall maybe not as big as some games. But, like, I don't know. After you finish the, the dreaded water escape... You, you have, to have to do to a go, lot of backtracking. You have to go back, like, the entirety of the game that you've played. Pa- actually past where you started and all the way to the other side of the map. Which is fine because you've gained a lot of powers since you came from that middle part. And you get to kind of, like, fly across the map. Bashing things and double jumping through things that you couldn't before, but I felt like there was a lot of going. Actually, so much so that I was really surprised they didn't add at least. In as far as I was, there's no amount at all of any sort of like teleportation. No, or there's no fast
0: travel or anything. There's in this. nothing.
1: So if you need to go across the whole map, we're not talking. It's it's still like a short amount of time, but in the game, it felt like a lot of travel.
0: It's pretty well designed in that. Once you've been through an area, you've usually – there's a lot of sort of one-way doors, you know, where you can't go through this door when you're going up the tree, but you can clear that door when you go down the tree. And then if you have to go back up it again, you don't have to – you can go straight through. You don't have to go through a fairly complex set of, you know, extra areas. Like, I don't know. It, it's uh, – I don't think it needs a fast travel, but I, like I I, I – don't think there's all that much backtracking in it like yeah. I, like compared to something like um super metroid which i'm you know, playing right now, actually, or um, compared to uh, Guacamelee had more. Guacamele actually was pretty linear. It had
1: fast travel though, too.
0: Yeah, but this is even more linear than Guacamele. Like, this is mm-hmm. go to this zone, then this zone, then this zone, then this zone, and you're gonna try you're gonna get as much as 100% completion in each zone as you basically can, and then once you leave that zone, you almost never have to go back to it except to travel through it to a different zone.
3: It's like tiered backtracking. You only have to backtrack at certain times, and in which case you kind of do it all in one fell swoop.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, That's if you fair. only if if you found a game where you didn't only have to backtrack at certain times, we'd find we would have a game that was all backtracking, which would be the ultimate Metroidvania. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Like a memento game.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I wouldn't say that that's like a huge failing of the game or anything. But no, like no, it's, I don't think so. It, and and, it, and it, to its credit, like one of the big problems I have with other games like this is that sometimes you get in those situations where you're like, I just don't know where to go next. And this had zero times where I didn't know where to go
1: next. Well, um, it's helpful that it has a big ass map with like yeah. glowing orbs that pretty much they're essentially quest markers. They don't tell you how to get there, but you're like, I need to keep heading northwest or up right since it's a platformer. But um, like you always kind of knew where you were supposed to go, just not necessarily how to get there. Mm-hmm. And I like that, you know, to kind of go on the exploration point a little bit, like there are parts where it, like, you know that it's out of the way of the direction that you're supposed to go, but they bury enough little, like, I don't know, presents, (laughs) treats, rewards, whatever for like exploring that. And I never felt like I was, um, I I generally play games like, okay, let's like, let me make sure that I'm constantly making progress. But there would be like a tunnel heading up to the right, which was the direction I needed to go and a tunnel heading down to the left. But I hadn't been in either of them. So I'm like, I'm going to do that down left tunnel because I don't know when I'm going to be there again. And maybe it's an experience orb or another uh, soul orb, which we haven't talked about
0: uh, yeah, yeah, we haven't talked yet about the uh, about one of the most interesting mechanics of the game, and that's the sort of uh, I guess soul link system, the the sort of resource that you have, those little
2: blue energy orbs. That's yeah. related to the saving, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: so you use it to shoot, but it you you can use buttons to shoot, but you also have the ability to save, and you control when you save. As long as you're not standing on unstable ground or an enemy is not actively shooting you, you can save at any point. You have enough juice to save.
0: Yeah. Something we didn't mention about this game is that you die a ton. Like, you will get killed a lot. Ori is not a tank in any way. And so placing those soul link save points becomes a really important mechanic. Like, you you have to decide, do I have enough energy to do this? And you have to decide, well, I need to use some of these blue orbs to knock out some tough enemies. But that means then that I won't have enough to start us to do another save point here or to open the door that I'm headed towards.
3: Or do I drop a save point here or go a little longer and drop another one?
1: Listeners, if you're playing this game uh, in the future and you think at any moment that maybe I should save right now, you should probably save right now. Uh blue orbs are easy to come by and I felt stupid for the amount of times so I was like, no, I can make this jump and then I don't make the jump and I'm like, shit, I didn't <laughs> save until like four bad guys and two crevices ago, and you have to do all of it over again. So I I have become a save after every um I don't know, test, I guess. And save early and often, I guess, is my, yeah, my recommendation. I would, I would
3: feel terrible. There are two times that I was like... or two themes where I would feel bad about saving. And one is if I would save and then I would walk a little bit and I'd hit a mini cutscene. I'd be like, oh man, I've <laughs> to see oh, that forever. yeah. Um, oh, I'd that's like, true. And then the second time is I... Um, on one of the exploratory things where I was going across the whole map, I decided to go in an opposite direction, and I clearly got where I was not supposed to be yet. Like, I got to a place where everything was on fire. I was like, I have no fire skills. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Oh, no, I just hit save. I'm going to have to backtrack through all of this fire. <laughs>
0: Actually, really neat thing that they do. Did you notice the backups system? Yes. If, oh yeah, yeah. If you if you save, it keeps about your last like six or eight saves. So if you go to the menu, you can look at all of your backups of your saves, and you can um, you can not. restore back to a previous
1: save if you do one that's inconvenient. Did not know um, that. It's neat. It's neat. Um, the cutscene thing is a big deal to me. If I if Ugh. I saved the and then went so through long. a cutscene, I would immediately save upon the ending of the cutscene because I'm like, I don't want to watch that thing again. Yeah, and they were nice, but like no, there were there so
0: many times where I would end up having to watch the same cutscene like three times or four yeah, times. Mean, even though, like a the little killed. open
1: the door animations. Again, yeah. fine world setting, all that. But if I saved right before going through a door, like this is stupid. Save right after If you knew you were going, going
3: to die ten times after you went through the door, which you're going to do, probably. Like. <laughs>
1: I have to say that the
0: this is probably the most standout interesting thing about the game. So, like, not to not to beat a dead horse, but like, this is a lot like, not not really like, but it, re- it made me think a lot about the um, the saving system in uh, in uh, Shovel Knight. You know, that had that very interesting mechanic where you were incentivized not to save. You were incentivized to take that risk because if you destroyed the save points instead of using them, you got a bunch of extra gold. And that could be a big deal. You could upgrade upgrade your character a lot faster. Um, this game does the same thing, but kind of in reverse because you're still being incentivized not to save. Um, you know, you're incentivized to take that risk because then you have more orbs to use to... Unlock doors and to fire off those big sort of bomb
3: explosions, or just save later.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you need it, like
3: uh, I've I've dropped a save point, run through something really tough, and then been like, Oh God, I can't save! I just did two minutes of perfect platforming, and I can't save. It's I a spiky
1: sp- world out there, man. You got to watch a spiky out. World. Yeah, and it requires <laughs> such incredibly
0: perfect execution that some of these some of these moments in the game, a lot of that was really fun. Like it felt perfect. You you really feel like you're, you know, you you pull off something cool when you do it, Um, but there are other times where I felt like the the sort of demanding platforming was something that, well, I guess what I'm really talking about is what it does sort of in place of boss fights. So this game has zero actual what I would consider boss fights. You get to the end of these big areas. Let's say, for example, you climb the fancy water tree, whatever it was called, the the gin, oh, Ginso that, tree.
3: It made me so happy because literally you cause your own issue. You're like, oh, I'm restoring water to the universe. And it's like, oh, Shit, I drown I'm at in the water. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I'm at the bottom. <laughs> so I should have done this from the top. Every
0: <laughs> single one of these areas oh. has this kind of escape gauntlet at the end um, rather than a boss fight. So... Instead of having to kill some giant thing, suddenly the area is being flooded or burned or it's collapsing or there's a giant bird after you. And really what you have to do is just escape. You have to get through a, a series of really exacting, very precise platforming. And you have to do it without any save points because you can't save during these sort of escape
1: scenes. Yeah, and most of them are one hit, like, kill. Like, there's not, there's really no, like, partial failure it's like you either nail it or you don't yeah go slow um, you're that's dead that's really interesting because all the
2: trailers dead. and videos that i've seen really heavily feature some sort of giant owl and i assumed he was mm-hmm. your your nemesis that he was is your boss that you were fighting he is
0: but but, but y- yeah but he's, he, he's more he's more environmental like he's he's coming along behind you and if you don't go fast enough to get out of the area then he's gonna eat you but you're never fighting him exactly
1: or her One thing I wanted to say about the – like, I love, like, platformer games. Like, you know, like, some of my favorite ones that we've done is, like, VVV, the uh, N++. Like, I love these, like, intricate platformer games Um, and Guacamelee. This is one of the first games. It's particularly this water escape that we've been talking about. Um, My hands – became very sore with the amount <laughs> of and and I only reason I bring that up and I is I like I play a lot of video games obviously I also play guitar and drums and piano and I just only bring that up to say that my hand I do a lot with my hands and they don't get You have mad
3: gu- calluses. <laughs> Generally <laughs>
1: speaking saying. my hands are very like are I, They're I use rough, them a lot. like the hands of a yeah. steel worker or a <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I'm a real tough guy. Um and I w- like my hands were like freezing up from trying this damn water tower so much because it's not only, like, precision, it's speed. And that was something that, like, with Guacamole that, I like, you always had the option to just, like, stick to a wall and just be like, ah, okay, what's the next set of crazy things that I have to do? With this, it's like, you don't have that time to slow down. You it goes to, like,
3: full Rayman.
1: Man. Yeah, you pretty yeah. much have to memorize the exact movements.
0: Yeah, it's very memorization oriented in these sequences. Yeah, that Laura, you're absolutely right. This is so Rayman. It's like the the, the, the recent Rayman games, the ones that have these sort of like And and I, I don't people like those games and people pro, people like this aspect of these games probably. But this is probably my least favorite thing about about Ori and the Blind Forest is these sequences. I think that the skill barrier on them is incredibly high. They just expect you to throw yourself against this challenge many 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 times and fail dozens of times and each time you improve just a little bit and finally escape or whatever uh, after after a sustained amount of really like demanding perfect platforming and i don't know i just it doesn't work for me it's a pretty heavy escalation yeah yeah it, it feels very different from the rest of the game because the rest of it is almost relaxed and sort of improvisational there's it certainly can be demanding but you have these really like forgiving saving system and you know it it's it feels sort of exploratory and like Laura was saying kind of relaxing these these sequences not at all relaxing
3: the music intensifies and i i really do like the stress inducing music tracks they put on them because <laughs> i heard them for a good hour <laughs> yeah. um
1: beautiful i would say you could argue that that it is a that is a benefit to a game that is very serene, like like having these moments of just like I'm gonna break my controller in half from gripping it so tight, and then to balance it with the like ah oh, combat is really just me like kind of ducking and jamming it like it's it's a really good balance. I do agree that especially that first one, Ugh, God. it is a. a extreme. It comes out of nowhere. None of the
0: rest of them were even half that hard as far as I could see.
1: Because like before that you're maybe dashing or bashing from like two things to each other. Like you're chaining together maybe one or two. This is like a chain of I don't know maybe like 25 which it's a lot. Like every time I started going I was like oh my god I have to be near the top. And it's like Nope. You're not even <laughs> nope. halfway, halfway to the top. Oh, dead. Okay. Now I have to be that Oh, sh- sh- damn it. I, I pressed X. Uh, uh, start over. And then it's like, you know, standard platformer stuff where for every one real good attempt, your next three are like you died on the first jump. Mm-hmm.
3: I will appreciate that the game seems to know how hard it is because after you finish one of those, it has one of the most, you know, generally rewards you with a very beautiful, soothing lagoon to swim in.
1: <laughs> there is a, yeah. It is a lagoon. It,
3: it, it chills out afterwards. You just
1: walk through hot coals. Have a foot rub. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh.
3: the spa yeah. day, no. man.
0: Don't rub my burns. <laughs> so before we started wrapping up, I kind of wanted to do a, a brief sort of compare and contrast here because um, Shane is currently playing and I played when it initially came out uh, another game that came out basically the same time, the same month, uh, in the same genre, <laughs> sure. Uh, and that's uh, Axiom Verge. Axiom Verge uh, is... So Axiom Verge is another Metroidvania-style game uh, that came out the same exact time as uh, as Ori and the Blind Forest. It's also an indie game, but in this case, it's the work of entirely one guy rather than an indie development team like Ori. And that's Tom Happ. He worked on it entirely on his own, um, and uh, it came out for... Um, PlayStation 4 exclusively at first, and it is now out on Windows, OS X, Linux, and there's a Vita version coming out a little later this year. Um, Axiom Verge, there's a lot to sort of compare and a lot to sort of contrast between these two. And uh, I probably won't do as much good here as a really, really great article from uh, US Gamer by Jeremy Parrish, so I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, to this article, but long story short, like I, I played Axiom Verge first, but I really do think that it is in some ways the better of the two games, but it's also much harder and much longer. Axiom Verge took me close to fifteen hours to beat. Actually, might might have been more like thirteen or, or fourteen, but it was much longer. So it wasn't one that we that I thought would probably be a good fit for this show. Um, but if you love Metroidvania style games, there's a few things about Axiom Verge that I think make it the more interesting of the two big uh, console-exclusive... It
2: is nowhere
0: near as pretty. That's very, very true.
3: Do you like spending time in that world? Because I would say that Ori and um, some of the more mechanic-driven games feel like they're almost different genres because yeah, of it, its it art style. it looks
2: so different. The art style is very slavishly true to form to the you know nin- original Nintendo, well, yes and no. What I what I think is really neat about its art style
0: is that yes, at first glance, it looks like uh, an, an NES game, uh, but there, but it starts peeling back the layers of that onion very quickly, and it you start seeing things where oh, that looks like something maybe from the Super NES, and then you start seeing things that could never be done on any of those consoles. Particularly, it it kind of evokes the feeling of the retro style without being a slave to the actual form. And I almost feel like saying too much about it is is a bit of a, uh, a spoiler, but the big thing that Axiom Verge does uh, is that its power-ups and its, uh, its way of sort of gating you with new challenges are never less than amazing. Like there are so many different power-ups in it, and all of them like I can't think of a single one that I'd ever seen before. In it. there's no double jump in this game, for example. Doesn't doesn't have one. Instead, it has a move where you can uh, glitch your way through walls in a way that looks like you've got a broken NES cartridge. Um, it it doesn't have typical guns. Instead, it has these incredibly weird guns, like a weird glitch gun, uh, or there's others that are just just really cool to use. Like it's got the kind of dual uh, dual analog to fire and move kind of thing that, that Nate was complaining about earlier, but it really works in this game.
1: <laughs> Not complaining, just saying I don't think it would work in Ori. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it wouldn't in something where the platforming was so demanding, but
0: this game, it, it never stops showing you new things. Like right to the very end, and I didn't even 100% the game, there's whole parts of this game that I didn't get a, a chance to taste just because I was, you know, uh, not quite, not quite good enough at it, but it's so inventive. Um, it does things, it, it seems on the surface so much more slave to the Metroidvania genre. I mean, it looks like Metroid and it, it plays a bit like super Metroid, but it's much in, in a lot of ways, it's more unique than Ori is. Ori is visually amazing. Um, but the gameplay was the progression and a lot of things about the gameplay were a lot more
2: like other games in this genre so, that I
0: played.
2: Reagan, that kind of brings up something that we've talked about a little bit off air, uh, that I think is, is worth discussing. So we kind of come to games with this sort of critical eye of looking for, interesting new mechanics or looking for games that have done, they're doing things in ways that we've never seen them done before. Axiom Verge, I'm loving it because it's doing all kinds of weird stuff that I've never seen done before in a genre that's familiar to me. Uh, but do, would the average person who's sitting down to play a game be more interested in, or let's say the average person who has, who has that history, uh, because you're going to need to be able to appreciate you'll, you'll need to know, you know, what are the kinds of game. Maybe you've played Super Metroid. Maybe you've played, you know, Metroid on the NES. Um, but do you think somebody sitting down to play a game is going to be more enthralled by a game that has all these crazy new mechanics that they've never seen? Or by a game that has this beautiful, immersive world That is going to suck you in and have the, you know, and and have this gorgeous art style where no tree is repeated?
3: I think that for me, um, I relate it to books. Um, People who uh, voraciously read every single um, literary crazy thing out there are taught, they love super experimental fiction. But when you go home and you talk to a friend who maybe reads, Four or five books a year you're going to keep calling back books that are maybe simpler a little easier to understand but they have something really revolutionary about it and to me that's ori i've been referring it to more friends who might play one or two games a year i've been saying look you'll keep playing because you'll like how it feels you'll like how it looks i wouldn't necessarily recommend i haven't played axiom verge but a game that is entirely new mechanics I tend to reference to people who have a deeper bench of gaming experience. Same as experimental fiction, I tend to give it to people who read a ton of books and are looking for that newness. I don't think originality matters more than polish if you're not consuming as many games.
0: That makes sense to me. And it's hard for me to look at these two games from a – like I, I, I play a lot of video games. And so when uh, when I play a game that does something that really surprises me, um, I get I get a really I get a real thrill. Uh, but the art style of Ori is what really drew me to it, and that managed to carry me through the game. But it didn't surprise me. Like it's not a surprise when a game looks amazing it, because you know I saw the trailer. I know that the game looks amazing. I know that it's going to look good. Um, but a game that can reveal something new to you that there's no hint of that something that that is a uh, like a totally new expanded type of gameplay that happens just you know out of nowhere. Just that that's what really gives me a thrill. So I don't know. I, I completely agree with you, Laura. But I don't know if I would necessarily say if you play a lot of games, play Axiom Verge, and if you don't play a lot of games, play Ori. Um, I think it's going to come down to a certain uh, like what delights you. Are you delighted? by visuals or are you delighted by, you know, gameplay
1: mechanics? It's, it's uh or I
0: think what it's just different people. In. Yeah. Or what yeah. mood are you in?
1: Play both I mean, games because they're both freaking amazing. I think to me, it'd be a mood thing. I can it's see, to me, yeah. I could see, I could see any type of gamer or just person liking both games for the strengths that they have. But there are times I want to sit down and play a shooty-shooty, you know, jump-around-space-guy game, and there are times when I want to, like, be a weird little light fox bunny squid and have you know, long cutscenes and difficult jumping. (laughs) Um, You know, so I, I I think as as the saying goes, I I think these games
3: for both. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. I I think these are not, this is not the two games, different strokes
2: for different bunny squids.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's hard not to compare the two, but I agree with you. Like they're both great games and they're, they're in, yeah,
1: they're both worth time, worth your time. They're both, they're good for comparison. Absolutely. I'm just saying they're not, this isn't really the games for like, well, if you, If you like one, you're not gonna like the other, you know?
3: Yeah, it's just been hard. It's been hard for me to see people who have, um, no pun intended, bashed Ori because they don't see it as an original game. And to me, I'm like, well, you don't get that many games this polished and refined and alive. To be honest, that's and
0: true. Yeah, and and it's also like I think it's probably just the way that I look at this genre, which I look at a little differently from some others. Um, like I would never, I knowing myself, you know, I, I might play a. Uh, uh, you know, a point-and-click adventure game, and I wouldn't bash it for being true to the format of point-and-click adventure games, necessarily. Yeah, I might say, you know, the art style is beautiful, the story is interesting, the puzzles are good, um, uh, you know, but I wouldn't say... And, you know, it, and it's a point-and-click adventure game with all that that entails, and I wouldn't say, well, that makes it worse. Um, I think it's uh, it's something just about the, the lens I look at this genre through, where I want to be more surprised and delighted rather than... Um, well, I don't know what it is that I would say Ori does. It is surprising. It is delighting but delightful but not surprising, I suppose. Laura, thank you so much for making me play this game. I know I probably wouldn't have gotten around to playing it before the end of the year if you hadn't suggested we try and bang it out before uh, before we do our Game of the Year uh, episode next next episode, right? That's going to be our next one? Yep. The shorty-goaties. Yeah, yeah, we did those last year, and that was a really fun thing. We don't limit ourselves only to games that have been featured on the show, or even necessarily only to short games, although we Kind of try. I
1: think we should. Yeah.
2: We, we kind do. of do. Yeah. We. Do. Uh, come on. I choose Fallout Four.
1: If you if you put Witcher Three in your vote, is we're not counting
0: it. <laughs> it's it's definitely on the list. We guys.
1: also do this because it's fun for us to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. game of the year stuff is played out, but still, like it'll be. It's fun for us to kind of. It's a clip episode. Basically. I always look forward we look back to other back on the shows on
0: and other websites, uh, game of the year, you know, coverage, because there's there's so many games that I don't get a chance to play every year. And it's so interesting to hear what people, you know, what people prioritize and what, what they think was really interesting that I might have missed. So if you, listener, uh, had a favorite short game of the year, uh, even if it's one that we didn't cover, that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't one we've played, and if it if it is one that we missed, we really want to play it. But if you have a favorite short game of the year, let us know before our next episode, and uh, we'll do our best to, uh, to, you know, shuffle that into the deck when we're doing our rankings. Um, and we also just want to hear what you liked. Uh, and uh, if you are listening to and like the show... Don't forget to go to our website and leave us feedback. You can do that through our web form there or info at the short or on Twitter. We're at underscore short game. You can also like and review our show on iTunes. This is a big deal, guys. The, the show, uh, the, The primary way that people find out about podcasts in this wacky world of ours is by going into that incredibly clunky old desktop app that you probably already hate uh, and only open to delete the free U2 album. That's the place. Go into iTunes, open it up, search for the short game, and you'll find that weird golf documentary, and you'll find us. And Mm. give us a rating and a review. We want to hear
1: from you there. And put a bad review on that short game documentary so they go further down the list.
3: I think they have like a one star.
1: <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Pile Good. it on, people. Good going, <laughs> listeners. That's that's
0: what I want to hear. So, um, uh, and they're why we couldn't get the .dot com those bastards. So, uh, thank you so much for listening. And of course, uh, I've been your I've been your horse. I've been your horse. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a horse. Please keep thank that you. one. in. <laughs> uh, I'm Reagan, and you can find me on Twitter at reagan K. that's r a y g a n k. and Laura, where can people find you?
3: You can also find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash.
1: Nate, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Nate Nate STL and also at the premiere of Star Wars tomorrow night. Um, I, in the last 24 hours, have watched the entire original trilogy, which is part of why I didn't finish Ori. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And Shane, where, where can people find you?
2: You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane. Tweet to me. I love your tweets. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.